This morning, we wrap up our sermon series called Overcome. And over the last four weeks, we got to take a look at some major things that Jesus has overcome for us through his death, through his rising, through the resurrection, through the power of who he is, then that forgiveness. Week number one, remember? Fear. You don't need to be afraid about anything because your Savior lives and he's with you. Week number two. Doubt. I think I heard it over here. Good job. Doubt, right? You don't have to doubt anything because Jesus keeps his promises. Remember how he came to Thomas? So he comes to us through his word and he says, I'm alive. Don't doubt, but believe. Last week? There we go. We're getting a little closer, right? Psalm 23. Your good shepherd is always with you. You're never alone. No matter what you feel, no matter how others might abandon you, Jesus says, I will never, ever ever, ever, and then he says about 10 more evers if you didn't get it the first time, leave you. (laughs) So you're never alone. Well, today, we're going to wrap it up in grand fashion by talking about how Jesus has overcome all things. And in order to do that, we're going to join the Apostle John, and we're going to look at a vision that's almost too good to be true. (laughs) Because John is going to give us a glimpse of heaven. So this morning we're turning our attention to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to read the first six verses. Then I, eyes John, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is God's word to you. I think it's safe to say that, that most, probably all of us, we don't like a spoiler alert, do we? If we're talking about the latest movie or, or the new hip TV show that's on that everybody's talking about and we're trying to get through it, we don't want somebody to, to blab it out there and tell us how the show ends or the movie ends or maybe it's a book that ends. We, we, we don't want to know. We want to experience it for ourselves. But what if... I told you that when it comes to your life, you can know the ending. What if I told you that that as you think about your own life and the story of that life, the final chapter has already been written and you can know what it says? 
What if I told you that that financial issue, you're going to be okay? You're going to get through it? Or that problem in your marriage, God's going to be with you. You're going to work it out. He's going to help you. It's, it's going to be okay? What if I told you that, that mom, her health is, is, is going to get better. It's going to get stable. That This won't end in death. She's going to be all right. What if I told you that that upcoming move, I know you're nervous, I know you're scared, but God's going to work it out and you're going to be all right. You're going to get through it. What if I told you that your kids are going to grow up well, happy, adjusted, Christian men and women, the way you're praying to God that they do, and it's going to be, it's going to be okay? What if I told you that when your story is written, the ending is done and it's going to be all right? Would you want to know? I think in some ways we do, right? We, we all wonder, we all have these things that weigh on our hearts that we want to know that whatever we're faced with and whatever we're looking at in the future, that everything is going to turn out okay for us in the end. If you've ever wondered that, if you've ever struggled with that, which everybody would say, amen, I'm there, right? Then I got good news for you. John has a vision for you that's going to blow your mind today. Because you know what God does for John here in Revelation 21? God comes up to John and he gives him the final manuscript. It's been signed off. It's been approved. The ending is written. And the director says, it's going to be great. Here it is, John. And he wants John to see it. And John sees it and he shares it with you. So how does he start out? Let's take a closer look. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Here in Revelation 21 is the grand finale of really all things, including Scripture, right? All the way back, Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22. So we're at the second to last chapter of Scripture. It's all coming to a final conclusion. Everything from Genesis to Revelation, for thousands of years of human history, God's promises made and God's promises kept. It's coming to this grand finale right at the end. And God says, I want you to see it, John. And not just you, I want you to see it, and I want you to write this down because I want generations to come of my people to see it too. So what does he see? He says he saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old was gone. Now we, we could go into talks, what does that mean? What does that look like? We're not exactly sure. Theologians have some thoughts and ideas, but, but it's going to be new. It's going to be a better life. It's going to be something that is going to blow your mind and maybe even hard to, to get a handle on, right? We just talked about this in starting point class not too long ago about when we try to describe heaven, it's really hard because we've never experienced that kind of awesomeness before. But either way, it's going to be awesome. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've done this many times. Maybe it was a movie you've seen four, five, ten times. Maybe it was a book you've read before. Maybe it's happened to you in reading God's Word, right? You, you've hit up that section, and it's something that you've never noticed. You've never said, huh, what's that about? 
Or maybe it's watching the movie for the fifth time. You're like, oh, I, I totally have missed that part. Now I understand the movie plot better. Or maybe it was a, a Bible passage that you've heard in church since you were little. You've read it before. You've heard it. And you've never really stopped to give it much thought. You have, you have stories like that in your life, like me? Because that's kind of how I felt this week when I read this section of God's word. I, I've read Revelation 21 many times. We've heard it numerous times. This is a section like Psalm 23 that's often read at almost every funeral because of its content, and rightfully so. But there were some words that stood out that got me scratching my head a little bit this week. It forced me to study more, to dig deeper. What in the world did God put that in there? And it's those six little words right at the end. There was no longer any sea. You ever thought about that before? Why did God put that in there? Why did God make sure John says there was no longer any sea and make sure that he put it on paper so that you would know it too? Maybe some of you are bummed to hear that, especially when we live coastal Carolina, right? We're not very far from the ocean and the beach and a massive sea, and a lot of you like to go out there. 20, 30-minute drive, majority of us are there, maybe even less for some of you, and you can dip your toes in the water, lay on that warm sand, feel the, the sea breeze and the warm sun, palm trees swaying, maybe a nice little drink in your hand with one of those fancy umbrellas, right? You picture the sea as this place of peace, a place of tranquility, a place of happiness, a place where I've even heard people say, it's your therapist, right? You go for beach therapy to unwind and de-stress and detox. But I got some bad news for you, because in the Bible, that's not the picture when they often refer to the sea. It's not a place of peace. It's not a place of tranquility. It's a place of chaos. It's a place of danger. And it's a place of death. All right, just a couple of examples. Earlier on in Revelation, the sea is where one of those ugly, menacing beasts comes out of. Or think of the disciples. They were on that Sea of Galilee, and the storms came, and the waves are, are whipping and smashing against the boat, and they thought, what? We're going to die. The sea is going to engulf us, we are going to go down, and we are going to drown. So if you picture the sea, you really need to picture not a beautiful day on Onslow Beach, but you need to picture a day where a hurricane is smashing into the coast, and that's the sea. Dangerous, menacing, we tell people, get out of the water, because you could die, right? So John's got this picture of the sea. The Bible pictures it as a place of danger, really depicting a world gone mad, really. A world drowning on its own sin. But I think there might be a little bit more to it than that. Do you know where John was when he wrote these words? He was on an island. And some of you, maybe you've lived in Okinawa, you've lived in Hawaii, I spent a couple years in Taiwan on islands, and it sounds nice, and it looks nice, and it's beautiful, and it's great, but you're on an island. You can't just hop in your car and drive two states over to see some family or friends. You're separated from the rest of the world by the sea, water. 
And so John, he's cut off. And he wasn't on Patmos, on that island, by choice. He was exiled there. For the most part, because he believed and taught about Jesus and was, many historians say, the pastor at the church in Ephesus. And eventually they said, you're not preaching Jesus anymore. In fact, to stop you, we're going to take you, we're going to put you on an island, and we're going to cut you off from your family, from your friends, from your church family, everything you know and love, gone. And so just slip into John's sandals for a moment. You're on that island. You're walking the beach on a beautiful, clear day. And as you look out over the sea, you see what separates you. What separates you from your loved ones, your wife, your kids, your grandkids. What separates you from from your church family and that church that he loved and would have loved to go back and pastor, but he couldn't anymore. That sea that separated him from his former life and he was never going to get it back. I think we know, at least in some part, what John was feeling, right? Maybe you haven't been exiled on an island, but, but I would say probably almost everybody here, and maybe many of you watching online, you know what it's like to be separated, right? If you're at all here in Jacksonville, majority of you are not locals. You weren't born and raised here. You came here because of the United States Marine Corps. And that, coming here, separated you from your family, from your friends, from your previous life, wherever that was. And even most of the other people who aren't here just because of the Marine Corps, you're still separated. You don't get to go to the birthday parties all the time. You don't get to to go to the baptism and the confirmations because you're separated. If you're here today and you live in the same town, Jacksonville, that your parents, grandparents, cousins, aunts, and uncles live, consider yourself blessed because you are in the minority here. Most of you understand that idea of separation. You understand what it feels like to have a spouse deploy and you're separated by oceans and continents thinking about him or her over there, or thinking about them back home, and you're separated. But I think it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? We all know what it's like to feel separated from from who we are and maybe the person we want to be. It's Mother's Day, right? A lot of moms that I talk to, a lot of moms that, that, that will be open and honest about this, that they feel mom guilt and, and they feel that separation between the mom they want to be and the mom they see somebody else on Instagram is, and then they look at their life and then they feel kind of bad about it because they don't think that they're measuring up. Dads, you probably have the same feelings sometimes too. Right? The kind of dad you want to be, and then you look at the dad sometimes you are, and it's not the same, and there's some separation there. Or maybe it's the spouse you want to be, but you're sometimes not. Or, or, or the obedient child, or the well-adjusted teen or young adult, or the successful middle-ager, or the wise and graceful senior. Right? As we look at our lives, 
from what we are and where we would like to be, we often see separation, at least I do. I see the anger that sometimes overtakes me when I don't get my way. I see the times that, that it's my words and actions that let my wife down or my kids down or y'all down as my, as my church family. I see my failings, the things I, I, I don't want to do, but I, I keep doing, Ugh, right? The times that I haven't been the spouse that I want to be, the parent that I want to be. And I'm guessing if you're anything like me, a human being who struggles, you know what that's like. parent you're not always but you wish you were the spouse that you're not always but you wish you were maybe instead of being that well-adjusted teen you're a worry wart and you're trying to, to figure out what your place is in this big lonely world the times maybe in middle age where you're trying to figure things out and maybe you've been successful but but your success is not coming god's way it's coming with with pride and arrogance and and chasing after another paycheck or another promotion forgetting about the people God has placed in your life. Or as you get older, you, everybody wants to be the graceful, wise senior who can mentor and love the younger generation, but, but maybe you've grown bitter over the years and angry, and instead of projecting grace and wisdom with open arms, you've been doing a lot of this to anybody younger than you who just needs to figure it out and get on board your way. We all have them, right? Things that separate us, and ultimately, friends, that's what sin does. You know what the Bible says about sin? Sin says sin separates us from God, and it separates us from each other. That's just what it does. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort we put in, no matter how much we might want to cover it up and hide from it or fix it ourselves, we can't do it. We can't do it. The battle continues, and it's been going on ever since Genesis chapter 3. Right? Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in that perfect world, in unity with God. They rebelled against God, and what came into the world? Sin. Separation. Anger, hostility, pride, arrogance, sickness, death. All of it came because of our rebellion against God. And now because of it, there's this big wedge, this sea-sized gap between us and between God. And in the middle is our sin. I think that's what John was getting at here. In those six words that maybe we've blown by a dozen times before, that's what John was getting at. And notice, that is exactly what John says he does not see in the new heaven and in the new earth. Right, that sea of sin and death that separates us and God, he says, there was no longer any sea, it's gone, it's not there. And as John's processing that, as he's trying to get a handle on that amazing truth, he says this, he says, I heard a loud voice. And it was coming from the throne. So God, Jesus, he's talking. He says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. 
and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So John lays out a bunch of other things that will not be there in heaven. And it's amazing. Right? Finally, John is telling us, finally, everything is going to be the way God intended all along. No tears, no sorrow, no struggle, no death. Just us and God in peace and harmony together forever. Do you see the picture? Do you grasp how amazing it's going to be that there's going to be no sea and no crying and no mourning and sin and death and all of that, that we will be right where we belong, where God wanted us from day one? I hope you see it because that's a big deal, friends. It's a huge deal because everything that we know this side of heaven will eventually end in tears, pain, and death. Everything that we experience in this life will end in pain, tears, sorrow, and death. Think about it. At some time and point in your life, and many of you are still there, so enjoy it. You're young, you're vibrant, you're energetic, you got your health, but eventually that will fade. The beauty will fade, the muscles will, will get weaker, the hair will gray, arthritis will take over your joints, and someday, eventually, you'll die. Every marriage, whether you have the, 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 the best marriage ever or you struggle or you're somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. Every marriage will end in tears, either by divorce or when you bury your spouse. Some of you already know that, both sides of that coin by painful experience. It will end. It will not last forever. Your jobs, your careers, your titles, all of it at some point will be gone. That money that you have in your 401ks, you can't take it with you. Nothing will last and everything will eventually end. Every relationship, I don't care. You put in the person, you give me the relationship, it will eventually end, either in hurtful words and actions that sever that relationship or are you going to have to say goodbye? And we know that. I'm not trying to be a downer today. You all know that by painful, gut-wrenching, tear-filled experience in your own life. Yet do you see what John is telling you? You see what John is reminding you of today? He says there's going to be no more endings. No pain, no sorrow, no suffering when you are in the presence of God in heaven. And it will never end. It will keep going on and on and on. I mean, we can't even imagine what that's going to be like because everything here ends, John says, not in heaven. The joy and the hope and the peace will go on forever and ever and ever. And it won't stop. We talked about fear, we talked about doubt, we talked about loneliness, things of the past. You'll never feel those things. Depression, 
addictions, fights, pride, arrogance, racism, prejudice, cancer, COVID, none of it. None of it will be there. It will be all gone forever. And maybe the best part of it all is the guy who wipes the tears and who takes away the sea and all the bad stuff. It's Jesus. Jesus himself will bring you into heaven and he will wipe away every tear from your eye and you will live with him forever. Why? Because Jesus jumped into the raging sea for you. Jesus willingly chose to dive headfirst into this raging, churning cauldron of a sea of your sin and death because he wanted to save you. You don't have a savior who just stood on the shore and said, hey, swim a little bit harder. Work on that that, that, that paddle. If you you work really hard, maybe you can get to shore. You can do it, right? Jesus didn't do that. He knew you would drown. Jesus didn't grab a rope and toss it out to you and tie it to a tree or something supportive and said, all right, now pull yourself in. You can get here. He knew that wouldn't work. And so you know what Jesus did? Jesus did what Jonathan Bauer did. You know who that is? Last week, Jonathan Bauer with his child, his daughter, I can't remember how old she was, but they were driving in Ocean City, Maryland over a bridge. And there was an accident. And in the accident, there was a truck that was kind of dangling on the bridge. And in that accident, there was a two-year-old in a car seat that got ejected from the truck. And Jonathan Bauer gets out of his car, makes sure his daughter's okay, and then he, he goes to that scene which he was really close to, and he looks down and he sees a car seat kind of bobbing, and at some point it flips over so the baby's submerged. And you know what he does? He jumps off the bridge. He jumps right into the water, doesn't think about his own safety or anything else. He jumps in to save that two-year-old, and you know what Jonathan did? He saved the two-year-old. That's what Jesus did for you. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. He had no second thoughts. He jumped right into the raging sea of sin and death to save you. And he's brought you up so you can get air again. And then he brought you to the shore where you will be safe. But that wasn't quite the end. You know what happened to Jesus then? Jonathan got out of the water and he's doing fine. But Jesus let the raging sea pull him back in. And on that cross, Jesus went down, 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 all the way down to the pits of hell itself so that you could be raised up and placed in the arms of your Father forever. That's what Jesus was willing to do for you. I know we don't like spoiler alerts, but what if you knew the ending? What if you knew that everything in your life at some point would work out for your good? That doesn't mean that it will always get better. It doesn't mean that you won't suffer and struggle this side of heaven. In fact, Jesus once said to get into the kingdom of heaven, much tribulation. It's going to be hard. In fact, if you are a Christian, you will be persecuted. You will struggle. You will be affected by sin, your own and others, and it's not going to be easy. But he says, I'll bring you through it. And so what if you knew that the story of your life would turn out fantastic? What if you knew that everything was going to be okay no matter what you faced or are facing or will face 
in the future. You know what Jesus says? Actually, in this section, it's in verse 6. He says, it's done. The ending of your story, it's already done. Not will be. Not maybe if you figure it out and get your life together. He's like, nope, it's done. You're already forgiven because Jesus died on his cross. You're already going to live forever in heaven. He walked out of his tomb. He says, you're going to walk out of yours. I'm going to bring you out. He already says, heaven is your future home. And he says, it's done. The story of your life has already been written. And it's been written in the blood of Jesus. And the ending, (laughs) friends, the ending is the best part. Because on that day, Jesus is going to take you home and you are going to be where you were always supposed to be because Jesus has overcome all things for you. You are going to be in the arms of your Savior. You are going to be where Norm Eggleston is. I had the privilege of serving Norm at my first church in Utah, and Norm had this kind of debilitating lung issue that he was diagnosed even before I got there, and the doctors told him, maybe a year, maybe two, if you're lucky, and that was at 65, and and he lived to be 75. And so his wife always said how it was such a blessing, God had given them some, some extra time, and they were rejoicing. But on that cold February night, In 2011, Norm breathed his last in this world. And I got to be there with Norm and his wife and his sister and brother-in-law. And as I drove home that night on Highway 89, coming from Ogden to Layton, about 2 in the morning, I, I still remember pulling over the side of the road and just breaking down because death does that to us. It's ugly. But I had to get my my act together because we had church in the morning. And so I got home, got a couple hours of sleep, went to church. And and a lot of the church people knew that Norm was in the hospital because he had been in and out a lot with this issue. And and a lot of people had heard, and and myself included, he was doing better and he was going to go home that Saturday. But he didn't. And one of the first people that showed up at church that morning came up to me and said, how's Norm? And I just simply said, Norm's finally home. And after the church service, they came up to me, and after I told the congregation that Norm had died, she said, I thought you said Norm was home. And I said, he is. Norm was finally right where God wanted him to be all along. And someday you will too. Someday, when your story ends, God will bring you home and you will finally be right where you belong. Home with Jesus. Till that day, rejoice in that truth and keep your eyes fixed on him. Amen.